BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. Today's episode is all about executive function skills and to help us understand how children develop executive function skills and how we can help our kids really grow those skills is developmental psychologist, neuroscientist, and professor, Dr. Phil Zalazzo, whose research has truly shaped the field of developmental cognitive neuroscience regarding the development of executive function. Thinking of executive function as conscious self-control of thought, action, and emotion, you can imagine what a huge influence it has on our success in life. And so I'm thrilled to have him, and we're going to talk about what these executive function skills are and what we can do to help support our kids as they develop those skills. So if you are interested in helping guide your kids to improve these incredibly important life skills, this is a great start. So these are a set of skills that are typically acquired by children and uh, these skills continue to develop across the lifespan but they're showing major developments during early childhood. And generally, there's a lot of evidence that, uh, that these skills are cultivated in the context of relationships with parents and other caregivers. And so in the context of a secure, safe uh, relationship, children learn executive function skills by using them. So typically parents provide uh, children with opportunities to exercise their attention regulation skills and they scaffold those opportunities. So they, they prevent them from being so hard that they're overwhelming, but they provide children with challenges. And it's, it's really through use that these executive function skills, these attention regulation skills, are solidified and, and developed. And we know too from a lot of research that when you activate certain neural networks in the brain, uh, certain pathways, that those pathways change. They become more efficient and there are various processes uh, whereby that happens, uh, including the pruning of extraneous unnecessary synaptic connections and the myelination uh, of relevant axons and various other 
mechanisms as well. So for parents, because now is a time when, by the way, that's, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm just casually allowing that to be a, a magnificent explanation of executive function, but it's just, oh, good. it really is. It's so helpful because so many people give different explanations that aren't a complete picture. And um, so now I'm going to break down some of the things that you said, because what I think is so extraordinary about this set of skills is that parents can actually influence mm-hmm. this. And Very so, much so. Yeah. there's in this time when we have no control over anything and where it feels like even school is, you know, it's questionable whether we're you know, some kids are in schools. My kids are actually not, um, have not been able to be in school in person since March. Um, Mm -hmm. It's to me, EF skills are something that we can keep on focusing on while we're at home. So I would love to hear how, and, and you just said, you know, actually using those skills and activating those neural pathways is what grows EF skills, right? Yeah. So how so how can we do that as and more generally it grows the brain. That's and right. How brain development occurs. Good good point. Experience. Good point. So I thought, what's the easiest way to think about it? Should we think about different ways to practice growing working memory or cognitive flexibility? Like, do we look at it breaking down the components of these, um, of EF skills? Or do you have a sort of a general way you like to explain Mm -hmm. engaging in these skills? That's an excellent question. Because in adulthood, these skills are relatively separable. One can have pretty good working memory and not so good inhibitory control or something. But for the most part, uh, and especially earlier in development, um, these skills all work together in the context of goal-directed problem solving. And so what parents can do is provide children with challenges that are appropriate to their developmental level and uh, challenges that are not too easy and not too hard. So children can actually engage in the process of solving problems intentionally. And when they do that, they inevitably uh, rely on all three aspects of executive function, flexibility, working memory, and inhibitory control. Uh, More generally, I would say that uh, the research is increasingly clear that it's in the context of autonomy supportive practices by parents that, that these skills are typically cultivated. And so autonomy supportive parenting refers to responsive care uh, and the use of praise, but also importantly, scaffolding and supporting children's problem solving skills by managing the situation for them, by giving them just enough help to solve the problem perhaps, but not more than that, so that children can Mm -hmm. have the experience of making mistakes sometimes and correcting them and ultimately feeling like they're solving the problem themselves. And so in addition to supporting autonomy, uh, those kinds of practices support agency, the sense of agency, the sense of I am somebody who's capable of making an impact on the world, capable of solving problems. 
Jane.com is a highly curated boutique marketplace featuring the latest in women's fashion trends, accessories, home decor, children's clothing, and more. Jane.com features hundreds of new products every day, offering everything you need to just have a great time. With Jane.com, every day is a sale day. They offer a wide variety of categories and styles where you can find something pretty much for everyone in your life, even your dog. Over 400 new products drop daily, everything from apparel for the whole family to home decor to fun finds, toys, and novelty items. Do you love a good deal? Jane.com is the site for affordable fashion. If you blink, you miss it because on Jane.com, products only last for a limited time. Jane.com is a place for discovering the endless aisle you can browse. Or if you prefer, you can search specifically for what speaks to you or what you're looking for. Jane.com's assortment is highly curated, so you know you'll find the latest trends as well as classic basics. By shopping at Jane.com, you are supporting small businesses. They offer products and name brands from over 2,000 shops at great prices. I picked out some items I thought were particularly fun for babies, toddlers, and older kids. So seize the savings. Visit jane.com slash humans. One question. So I'm, I'm thinking about the listeners and maybe they haven't heard of working memory or cognitive flexibility or inhibitory control. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking maybe we should define the components of these EF skills. And I say EF um, to shorten executive function, but um, mm-hmm. can you give us an example, uh, define and give us an example of working memory? Sure. Just to remind you, these skills tend to work together. Um, it's, it's very difficult to, for example, create a situation where only working memory is required and not cognitive flexibility and inhibitory control. So working memory is basically holding information in mind so that it can be used as a guide for intentional behavior. And an example of that that's common is if you, uh, somebody tells you their phone number or something like this and you keep it in mind, and then you uh, dial it. <laughs> so anytime yeah. you're just, you know, rehearsing and usually private speech is involved, people tend to talk to themselves in mm-hmm. the kind of uh, all aspects of working memory. Mm-hmm. Right, talking Sorry, to yourself. All aspects of executive, of executive function. Yeah. yeah. Right. You you don't need to stop kids from talking to themselves. They're actually really right. exercising their muscles there. Okay. So mm-hmm. now cognitive flexibility. Sure. Cognitive flexibility is uh, shifting or switching attention to one thing to attention to another. And uh, an example, routine example is when we take somebody else's perspective we have to shift from our own way of seeing things and uh, using our imagination, imagine somebody else's point of view. But it's also uh, relevant, for example, when you're solving a problem. One of the ways that we assess executive function skills in childhood and across the lifespan is through something called the dimensional change card sort. And that's a task where children see 
uh, colored shapes and they have to match them to other colored shapes. And they're asked to, um, to do so first one way, for example, according to um, shape, and then another way according to color. And that requires that you, you look at, say, a blue triangle or something, and first you can see it as a triangle, and then using cognitive flexibility skills, you can shift and see it as a blue thing. And that's actually, that game or uh, activity is a great example of you need your working memory because you have to know what the rule was in the first place. You need Mm -hmm. your cognitive flexibility because you have to uh, change the rule. And then we'll go to inhibitory control where I guess Mm -hmm. you would be stopping yourself from going with the first rule because you're now cognitively flexible and you can shift rules. So is that, so I guess inhibitory control is... I'm letting you fill that blank. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not going to dare. No, I never uh, want to interrupt. I, I mean, you're the, the maker of these definitions as far as I'm concerned. So why not hear from you? Sure. So inhibitory control, and then I'll circle back to uh, that example. I, I think you made an excellent point. The dimensional change card sort or any task like that requires all three of those skills. And children typically have a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulty with those kinds of tasks. So inhibitory control in particular is um, ignoring distracting information and staying focused on what you think is relevant. So in that dimensional change card sort task, three-year-olds, for example, typically Uh, have no trouble sorting cards by whichever dimension you ask them to sort by first. So you can say, sort these cards, the red ones go here, blue ones go there. And uh, they have no trouble with that. But as soon as you tell them, okay, now we're going to play a different game. Now these same cards, I want you to sort them by whether it's a rabbit or it's a boat or something like that. And three-year-olds typically can say what the new rules are. You can say, okay, we're playing the shape game now, right? And they say, right. And you say, so where do the, where do the rabbits go? And they point to the right box or whatever, wherever you're sorting them. And where do the boats go? And they point correctly. And then you say, so where does this rabbit go? And they are very likely to sort it by color. So there is what could be described as a failure of inhibition or inhibitory control uh, because they're told to do something new and they seem uh, to have difficulty suppressing a tendency to do what they did before Mm. in that situation. But as you pointed out, these three executive function skills are are, um, demanded by this type of task. And so uh, it's not enough just to attribute that to a failure of inhibitory control if children keep the relevant rules in mind and shift flexibly to looking at the right dimension and inhibit a tendency to do what they did before, then they'll succeed. So in other words, all three aspects of working memory are required and measured by by a task like that. So if a parent changes the rules on a young child, Mm -hmm. like let's let's, let's say... um, you know, you've been doing bedtime routine a particular way and you shift the rules. I don't even know what I'm getting at. I'm basically getting at expressing how much is at play in the, in the brain of a a child 
when they're trying to do the things that we think are obvious that we've, we Mm -hmm. kind of have asked of them many times, but even those minor shifts in rules require so much to happen in order for, for a toddler, let's say, to be able to follow that rule or shift gears like that. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if just knowing that helps you with a little bit of developmental expectations. Absolutely. I think that's an important point. Uh, children often show difficulties with executive function skills, and those could be confused, for example, with willful defiance of, of what you are telling them to do. And so it's important to keep in mind that those things that have become relatively expert by adulthood so that we can shift easily from one thing to another relatively easily. <laughs> right. For young children, it's a real challenge. They're working on it for, you know, maybe not the first time, but they haven't had the abundance of experience that we've had. And and so they're paving the way for new neural networks to be established. Mm. And uh, that requires a lot of effort. We should keep that in mind. And in our interpretation of children's behavior, uh, if they fail to do something, it's not necessarily because they don't know what to do, or they're not trying to do it. I think a lot of parents underestimate the extent to which executive function skills are effortful, develop slowly, and in fact, continue to develop into young adulthood and beyond, but (laughs) instead of being increasingly efficient, uh, after young adulthood, they tend to become increasingly less efficient. Clearly. So there's a rise and fall right. of the development of these skills. So let's look at the right the development of a brain. It's it's a little it's exciting in that you have a you know from from birth through the development of your your best executive mm-hmm. function skills. You're now then ready for the decline shortly thereafter. How much time do you get? <laughs> well, research suggests that. Um, Executive function skills emerge uh, in infancy, maybe uh, midway through the first year or so. There's evidence of uh, working memory and inhibitory control, so on. Uh, They show really rapid improvements, typically during the preschool years, and they continue to develop into adolescence. There's another period of relatively rapid improvement in these skills around the transition to adolescence, maybe associated with puberty. And in most people, peak performance on measures of executive function is reached at around age 25 or so. And then they tend to plateau for a bit. And I believe, and the evidence tends to support this, uh, suggesting that uh, that plateau can be maintained for quite a long time if you continue to exercise your executive function skills, if you continue to use those neural networks. Mm. If you don't continue to use them, then uh, they tend to atrophy. And so you start to see declines on average um, almost you know, immediately after that peak is reached, but they're big individual differences. And so it really depends on, you know, for example, do you exercise your executive function skills in the course of your career or something like that? In which case, uh, there's much less cognitive decline. But at some point, 
in the course of aging, most people do show decreases in the efficiency with which these skills are used. So maybe it's great for parents to do the exercises with their kids because they can both, you get more bang for your buck. (laughs) Yeah. And you get a real feel for what children are struggling with. Mm -hmm. It turns out a task like that dimensional change card sort is uh, one of those tasks that reaches a peak at about age 25. And so most adults can feel, oh, I see where it's effortful. You know, I can feel that challenge. Uh, They typically end up uh, performing correctly, sorting pictures into the right boxes, but they have to slow down in order to, uh, to do so. They have to catch themselves and say, oh, right, okay, color. So it's red, so it has to go here. They have to talk their way through the problem. And the time that it takes to talk your way through a problem is what increases in the course of aging. Native aluminum-free deodorant is a great addition to your 2021 routine. Native cares about what you put on your armpits. That's why their deodorants ingredients list includes things you've actually heard of, like coconut oil and shea butter. And another plus, none of their products are tested on animals and almost everything is vegan. Native is risk-free to try. Every product comes with free shipping within the U.S., plus free 30-day returns and exchanges. And they have options. Native has a line of sensitive deodorants for people with baking soda sensitivities, plastic-free deodorants if you're trying to cut down on your plastic consumption, and even an unscented option if you're all about the natural scent. And if you want to try something a little different, check out their rotating seasonal scents. You can even subscribe to Native so you never have to sweat about running out of deodorant again. What you put on your underarms really matters. And we know how many chemicals and what garbage is in deodorant. And as a mother of teenagers and developing children, it's really important for me to find deodorant that is made with ingredients that I can trust, but that actually works. So those are two very hard things to find. And Native is awesome. Make the switch to Native today by going to nativedeo.com slash humans, N-A-T-I-V-E-D-E-O dot com slash humans, and use the promo code humans at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash humans, or use promo code humans for 20% off your first order. So what are some other things if you're not in a lab and you don't have the card sorting activity, what are some day-to-day activities that you can do to exercise these? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying muscles and quotes. Of, oh, yes, right. Um, any kind of uh, problem solving. Executive function skills, another way to define them is simply, these are the top-down attention regulation skills that are required for goal-directed problem solving, where you keep a goal in mind and you pursue it. And if you fail to attain it, you find a new way to approach the problem or something like that, or you try again and 
keep pursuing that goal. And, and it's in the context of that kind of problem solving, deliberate problem solving, that these skills are exercised. So you can play games, but you can also just use any, any real life challenge. Like if a child is helping a parent, you know, cook or something like that, mm-hmm. and to keep some simple instructions in mind and walk across the kitchen and select an ingredient and so on, that's going to require executive function skills. Right. So it's not like you need, you, you can, there are certainly board games and activities that you can do, but part of everyday life, just engaging kids in those everyday activities and problem solving will not only help you pass the time, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but it's actually really helpful. So what about things like sorting laundry or? Exactly. Yeah. Unloading the dishwasher and putting the mm-hmm. fork and the spoons there. Oh, back. Yes. Unloading the dishwasher is a really good one. See, there's no guilt with chores because right. it's actually <laughs> learning opportunities. You're helping them out. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. How do you know, like are some people more, well, I'm sure anybody with more than one child can see that some kids just sort of naturally are mm-hmm. more inclined to to seem to have a, a strength in this area and others need mm-hmm. a little bit more support. How can you see that? Well, uh, there are standardized, reliable, validated norm right. assessments. And so it's possible to, uh, to measure executive function skills fairly precisely. But you can notice individual differences without those kinds of measures. And it's not entirely clear uh, why those individual differences exist, but executive function skills uh, themselves exist in the context of uh, a broader cognitive system and belief system and set of values and so on. And so some children seem to be more conscientious, for example, than others, more concerned to solve problems and solve them correctly. And other kids just don't care quite as much. (laughs) So it may look like they don't have uh, good executive function skills, but it could be just that they're not motivated. They're they're not overly concerned to uh, to be perfect. You know, a lot of times people say that boys have weaker executive function skills or they tend to develop later. What's the science behind that? Is there any science behind that? Uh, yeah, there there is. In early childhood, there's some evidence that girls perform uh, on average a little bit better than boys. But the the magnitude of those differences is very small. So interesting because, yeah, but small. reliable, but small. Um, I feel like anecdotally people say that all the time. And I always uh, wonder if that's actually just become sort of a culturally accepted idea. Mm-hmm. Well, it goes back to what we were saying before. Some of the differences between boys and girls may be more apparent than real. Girls, for example, may be socialized to uh, to care more um, mm-hmm. about using their executive function skills and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, they get they certainly get used to being praised for being rule followers a little bit more mm-hmm. easily. And once you get praised for that, you're probably incentivized to do it more. Exactly. Um, and so we don't know really to what. To what extent um, the apparent differences are genuine differences in 
the proficiency of executive function skills or just differences in the likelihood that they're going to use whatever executive function skills they have. Uh, but when you use these standardized measures of executive function performance, that's when you can see that, yes, in fact, there are small but reliable uh, differences. If you have a large enough sample size, you can see them on average between boys and girls. And what kind of changes can you see in executive function skills when you're really um, taking the time to parent with the intention of bolstering those skills? What kinds of changes can you see? Yeah, I mean, that's a weird way of phrasing it, but answer however you want. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Well, um, executive function skills tend to be most apparent in their absence. And um, that is to say, when somebody fails uh, to use executive function skills effectively and efficiently, we tend to notice. And usually, um, therefore, failures of executive function skills are manifested as situations where a child clearly knows what to do in a particular situation and even tries to do them, but doesn't. And um, so, for example, in that dimensional change card sort, I mentioned you can ask children, Mm -hmm. we're playing the shape game now, right? So where do the rabbits go? And they say, here, and they're correct. Where does this rabbit go? And they turn around and they perseverate. They, They do what they did before. And so that's kind of a classic failure of executive function. And it underscores that it's not enough just to know what to do. Knowledge alone is not enough. You also need the uh, attention regulation skills that allow you to bring relevant knowledge to bear on a situation at the right time. Mm. And you can see children increasingly uh, capable of, of doing that. Often uh, they'll talk aloud to themselves through a problem. Uh, we tend to do the same thing, but silently. Mm-hmm. Uh, So there's evidence, for example, that when adults are performing a task like that dimensional change card sort, that uh, they rely on private speech, self-directed speech, uh, typically silently. But even even in adulthood, when things get really challenging, you might find adults uh, start talking to themselves. I do it all the time. Problem. Yeah. Do you really know what's in your multivitamin? Sugars, GMOs, synthetic fillers, artificial colorants, animal byproducts like sheep's wool and gelatin from hooves and hides, they're all ingredients you might find in a multivitamin. But Ritual is not your typical multivitamin. Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly formula is made with key nutrients in forms your body can actually use. This is the thing. It was easy for me to choose to take ritual vitamins because I learned when I was taking prenatal vitamins long ago, that was the first time I thought about how much junk is in the typical vitamin and how little we know. So I was very excited that ritual reimagined vitamins. You always know where your nutrients come from thanks to ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain And 
Ritual is designed with different life stages in mind. So it's available for women and men. It's also available for teens. And if you have a teenager, you know that you want them to have a healthy diet, but you cannot control what they eat. Your multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping, always. Just Ritual makes healthy habits very easy. You can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription anytime. And if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they refund your first order. So you deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. That's why Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash humans, H-U-M-A-N-S to start your ritual today. What are some things parents can do to model speaking of talking to yourself mm. through a problem, what are some things that parents can do to model executive function skills? And more than that, if you are not naturally inclined to have particularly strong executive function skills, but you have an awareness of that and you're willing mm-hmm. to do a little bit of work, what are some ways to model those skills for your kids? And does the modeling of your own adult executive function skills influence your children's development? of executive function skills? That was a long sentence. That's an excellent question though. Um, Yes, indeed. Parental modeling of executive function skills is is very important because it it shows children how to to use their executive function skills. And then importantly, it alerts them to the fact that these executive function skills exist uh, to be drawn upon, to be used in the context of problem solving. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute, but yes, you can talk aloud, for example, as you're solving problems with your child or um, just showing your child what you're doing. Hmm, I've got a challenge. I can either do this or I can do that. Well, what are the considerations? In general, we use uh, executive function skills when we need to. And that is to say, most of the time, we can get by on autopilot. Uh, A lot of things that we do are fairly habitual and we don't really have to think about them. We just, we're in the situation. We just do what, what needs to be done. Um, But when we encounter an obstacle, when we encounter a challenge that elicits a sense of uncertainty and that leads to what we call reflection. And by that, we mean that's when you get off of, autopilot, you pause, you step back in a sense, and you say, hmm, I've got a problem here. And and you have to figure out what's your goal and what is a possible path to achieving your goal. And then you have to keep uh, a strategy in mind and you have to implement it and you have to monitor whether you're making progress towards your goal. And so that uh, process of reflection is intimately uh, tied to the use of executive function skills, but it's much more likely to occur if uh, children not only have good executive function skills, but are aware of the fact that they have good executive function skills. So uh, there's been a lot of research on efforts to train uh, executive function skills in childhood And uh, for the most part, those efforts tend to be successful 
But often what researchers find is that children learn how to use skills in the situation in which they're trained, but they don't necessarily transfer those skills to new situations. However, if the training also involves uh, an emphasis on reflection, pointing out to children, see, you're using your working memory skills. That's when you keep things in mind, you know, and you talk your way through a problem and you can use your cognitive flexibility skills. Then children seem much more likely to, to transfer what was trained to new situations like the classroom, for example. Brilliant. That should be absolutely common knowledge. Just, it, it does not That's take that. It is. And, uh, and it doesn't take any, it's not a big ask, which mm-hmm. is always exciting to me whenever we can support families without asking too much. So that's wonderful. Thank you. Do you have any thoughts on, I mean, this is not evidence-based at all. My concern about the, like, especially for younger kids, but in general, um, missing a lot of school time, I'm, I'm more concerned about EF skills not getting practiced than, well, I shouldn't say that. I just think those are the things that you can definitely work on at home. But I'm curious what you think the implications of online school will be or virtual school will be on attention skills and EF skills. Is that just a crazy question? No, it's a, it's a great question to ask. I don't think we know the answer yet. However, uh, the pandemic and uh, the consequences of the pandemic for schooling um, has created a new kind of challenge for children to adapt to. And so from that perspective, it's uh, an opportunity to exercise executive function skills. There is uh, research on the efficacy of video-based training versus uh, in-person interactions. And uh, for a lot of things, it appears that um, there's, a, there's an added value for um, interacting directly with a human being, especially somebody that you look up to and you love and so on. Right. So it's, it's really hard to say, but it, I, I think it, it's certainly the case, as you mentioned, that um, you can continue to exercise executive function skills at home. And really, it just comes down to providing children with developmentally appropriate challenges, whether it be in the context of games, in the context of daily life, you know, in the context of just um, solving puzzles or whatever. I'm so heartened by the fact that you pointed out that this, that just shifting gears on how you're learning is a big executive function challenge. And, mm-hmm. and so maybe that is bolstering something that they haven't had to, I mean, that's a big challenge to take Mm -hmm. on. And so for those that are taking it on, maybe this ends up being, who knows? Beneficial. (laughs) Dare I say. Dare Um, you say, right. (laughs) um, I mentioned before that um, executive function skills don't operate independently of uh, the rest of the things that the body and brain does. Yeah. And, and more generally that the child uh, does. And so one of the key things that it interacts with executive function skills is stress. Stress uh, 
undermines executive function skills. And it does so, for example, in the moment, because when something is a source of stress, it tends to hijack your attention. And you, you know, you worry about it and think about it. Mm. But, uh, it's hard to be cool headed and, and reflective when uh, stress levels are high. Uh, over time, uh, stress interferes with the development of executive function skills in part by literally damaging um, the brain. So there's this term toxic stress, which is uh, used to refer to uh, sustained, uncontrollable levels of stress. And uh, over time, uh, those sustained, uncontrollable uh, levels of stress seem to literally be toxic to parts of the brain that are uh, especially important for executive function skills, including uh, the front part of the brain, prefrontal cortex, and, and also the hippocampus. So stress is one of those things that um, I think parents also need to be aware of. And in some of our work with children uh, growing up in difficult circumstances, for example, children who are currently residing at a homeless shelter, we have found that in order to uh, help children develop executive function skills, we often first have to address their high levels of stress. So generally speaking, when we attempt to cultivate the development of executive function skills in children, we combine reflection training, modeling and explaining to children that they can look at things in different ways and that they are failing to use their executive function skills, but they can use them and so on. Practice with particular executive function skills like just doing exercises in cognitive flexibility or in working memory, keeping information in mind for a certain period of time. And then when you get good at that, you keep a little bit more information in mind for perhaps a longer period of time and so on. But also we use mindfulness uh, practices in order to reduce their levels of anxiety and stress. Mm -hmm. And with the children in, we did a study with children in a homeless shelter. And, and in that study, we, we decided we first needed to do the mindfulness stuff before we could even effectively train executive function skills. And so we had children learn that uh, they might feel stress to be able to label it, understand uh, when it occurs, and then to breathe, to take slow, deep breaths, for example. We have them, you know, pretend to blow out candles, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then once children have calmed down, we found that they were apparently more receptive to uh, the other things that we were trying to teach them. Kind of priming the canvas. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like it's a big part of this. Is, is It is. And, you know, I only started mindfulness practices myself a few years ago. So I'm so fascinated um, about how, you know, to incorporate those things in the daily lives of kids. And so is the recommendation to kind of practice every day in the same way that you would anything else so that in the heat of the moment, yes, you have access to shifting right. your brain? Yep. So that in the heat of the moment, um, these skills are, are well-established and the relevant neural networks are very efficient and reliable and uh, can be used. 
despite all the distractions and despite the emotional arousal and so on. Yeah, I think the best way to train any skill, um, to learn any skill, is to to use it. And, you know, that sounds uh, odd, perhaps, but the idea is to uh, <laughs> use it at whatever level you can. So mm-hmm. our efforts to train children, we meet children where they're at. We understand that they have immature executive function skills, and we provide them with just enough support to be able to use those executive function skills and then uh, succeed in solving a problem. And then you have to move on to a more challenging problem mm-hmm. that requires more use of executive function skills. And uh, so if I were to summarize, what are the ingredients of effective strategies for uh, cultivating these skills? Uh, it would be to create situations in which uh, children need to use executive function skills to manage the degree of challenge so that children find it moderately challenging, manageable, not overwhelming, but also not too easy because then it's not going to require children to stretch. So creating those opportunities, practicing the use of those skills regularly um, having a component of reflection and metacognition where children not only practice these skills, but know that they're practicing them and also know what they're good for. And, um, and then finally, uh, mindfulness to manage um, anxiety and uh, other things that can interfere with reflective uh, goal-directed problem solving. Practicing mindfulness in the usual way, which is paying attention to something like your breathing and when your mind wanders, noticing it and gently redirecting your attention back to say your breathing, that requires executive function skills and reflection in and of itself. And so mindfulness Mm -hmm. is a good way to build these executive function skills. And there's, there's evidence that suggests that, that practicing mindfulness does lead to improvements in, in those skills. So I'll put everything in the show notes for if people want to find more information. And also there are links to games and toys and activities and everything. But um, all of your suggestions were so amazing. And I'm so grateful for all of the work that you do. In general, it has been so, I mean, just personally, thank you. And I uh, am really grateful for the work that you do as thank well. You. And was uh, amazed and uh, impressed by by the uh, program that you put together for training pediatric residents. Thank you. And they were amazed at the things that they had, I mean, in particular with, with uh, your work, just because it's so not what they were trained to know about and so, mm-hmm. so critical. So it's been a huge contribution and much appreciated. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful week. Next week, Dr. Zalazo's wife and colleague, esteemed colleague, Stephanie Carlson is going to be on Raising Good Humans to expand this discussion even more.